0: is
1: the Workplace Briefcase, a monthly podcast brought to you by Mapian Workplace Strategists. Mapian is the most trusted bespoke people consultancy in the Asia Pacific. For almost 40 years, we have provided employers with solutions on every aspect of people in the workplace. Our clients say we take the stress out of stressful situations. We help you align your people with your organization's objectives. And our promise is to maximise the people impact needed to achieve your vision.
0: My name's Troy Greed, Principal Consultant at Mappian Workplace Strategists. I'm the host of Mappian's new podcast series, The Workplace Briefcase. This podcast provides a unique insight into the complex environments of the Australian workplace and the challenges facing the human resources function. My aim is to give you exclusive insights from the people in the know when it comes to all things employment, including industrial relations and, of course, human resources. I hope you enjoy the series as much as I did putting it together. The COVID recession has affected men and women in Australia in different ways, both at work and at home. Women bore the brunt of the upfront job losses and they also shouldered more of the unpaid work burden at home. This is the worst recession in living memory for working women, largely because of the unique nature of the downturn. Pandemic lockdowns hit women especially hard, and although most have returned to work, too many have not. That was an extract from a report by the Grattan Institute, Women's Work, The Impact of the COVID Crisis on Australian Women. And today I'm joined by Danielle Wood, the CEO of the Grattan Institute, to discuss this report and just how this pandemic and restrictions have impacted women in the workplace. But who's Danielle Wood? Danielle is a firm believer in the power of public policy to make Australia a better place. Danielle has published extensively on economic reform priorities, budget policy, tax reform, generational inequality and reforming political institutions. Now, when Danielle agreed to take part in today's podcast, I was thrilled, in fact, quite nervous as she is a highly sought after media commentator and speaker on policy issues. And her background, while Danielle previously worked at the ACCC, Nira Economic Consulting and the Productivity Commission. She holds an Honours Degree in Economics from the University of Adelaide and Master's Degrees in Economics and Competition Law from the University of Melbourne. Danielle is the National President of the Economic Society of Australia and co-founder and former chair of the Women in Economics Network. As far as current topics are concerned, as we move into the new way of living with COVID, this episode is a real thought provoker and an opportunity to reflect on the unseen impacts that restrictions have had on women in the workplace. Welcome to the Workplace Briefcase, episode three The Gender Divide of the Global Pandemic. Danielle Wood, welcome to the Workplace Briefcase.
1: Thank you for having me, Troy
0: you've had a pretty quiet 18
1: months. (laughs) Yeah, nothing like a a pandemic to to make the policy research
0: nice and busy. Danielle, you don't miss a beat in terms of, I say, exposing real community issues. For example, I read an interview only this morning with the ABC. That was around the gambling sector in particular, giving more dollars in political donations relative to economic contribution than any other sector in the economy. And now, No one would know that, but you uh, and the work that you do exposes these types of issues. Did you ever sort of consider yourself or or do you consider yourself a bit of a crusader when it now comes to influencing public policy?
1: Uh, Well, it's certainly what we're all about at the Grattan Institute and, and we really come from the place that we want policy to serve the national interest. Um, so we're focused on um, domestic policies, so what happens in Australia, and we're looking at things like health and education and transport and energy. So, you know, really kind of broad section of issues, as, as you said, but, you know, our passion is really um, unpacking the data, trying to work out what it all means, but then putting forward um, really practical policy solutions for, for governments hopefully to take up.
0: Nice. And for those that aren't aware of the Grattan Institute, what role does it play in the community? What role has it actually played during this pandemic? I take it quite a big one.
1: Uh, yes, yeah, so we are an um, independent public policy think tank. And it, normally at that point, people are like, what is a think tank? That, that sounds pretty intense. But um, really, we are a group of people that are motivated by better policy for Australia. And, and we do research essentially to try and come up with answers. Um, so during COVID, I mean, we have a, a health specialist on staff, so we've been really active in some of the, the health debates, um, particularly in the kind of early phase about the, the benefits of trying to get to zero COVID. Um, we've been really active in the economic space about what the right economic policy response might be. Uh, and then we're obviously now contributing to the question of um build back better, you know, and when we're, when we're now moving to this phase of living with COVID, what does that look like and what might be the policies we need in place to make sure that we come out on the other side stronger than what we went in?
0: Yeah, absolutely. The Of course, the pandemic has impacted certain demographics differently right across the spectrum as we, you know, particularly in Melbourne, fumble our way out of lockdown. Some have done it better than others. states, that is, uh, not Victoria. Some of those, you know, demographics have been impacted harder than others, in particular women specifically women in the workplace. Tell us about or what the Women's Work, the impact of COVID crisis on Australian Women's Report is all about.
1: Yeah, sure. So, the, the Women's Work report came about because we started to get that those early cuts of the data about what was happening to jobs. Uh, and there was a number of groups affected, factors that you say. So, young people stood out, um, people from low-income backgrounds stood out. Uh, But a really unusual group was to see that that women had lost more jobs and hours in in the early phases of lockdowns than than men had, and that that looks really different to past recessions. So typically in a a recession, um, you know, construction sector gets hit, manufacturing sector gets hit, um, so men tend to lose more jobs. Uh, But this one was different, and it was because it was in response, uh, it was a a health crisis essentially where we responded by locking down large swathes of the economy When you look at the sectors that were shut down, things like hospitality, things like arts and recreation, uh, they are actually jobs where a lot of women are employed. Um, So women were more likely to lose jobs, more likely to, to lose hours um, and then we had this additional thing grafted over the top, which was, um, you know, all of a sudden people were trying to do remote learning. Um, Childcare centres were closed. And, you know, this kind of um, juggling of, of work and family became really acute with this really big increase in unpaid care work that, that everyone was grappling with.
0: Sure. And, and, and that was one of the things that I pulled from the from the report, that healthcare and education sector being hit as hard as it did. My wife's a dentist. She's been off work for months. One of the things that also come out of the report was obviously how hard it hit young people, but particularly those who are going to have to re- recover, I suppose, from this triple whammy. What's the triple whammy that you're referring to in the report?
1: Uh, so the triple whammy is um, the fact that women were more likely to lose jobs and hours. As I said, they're in those hard hit sectors. Um, two, they've got that big rise in care responsibilities. And so we actually saw women's participation in the workforce drop off. So that could be the example of your wife. Um, you know, thinking how am I going to manage this if I even went back to work? Um, so just pulling out of the workforce altogether. Um, and third was about government supports. Um, so we had a you know unprecedented amount of government money being pumped into the economy. Uh, governments made decisions about designs of those measures. So things like JobKeeper, the decision to exclude um, short-term casuals actually meant that. Um, more women tended to miss out on that kind of support because they were more likely to be employed uh, as as casuals in those hard-hit sectors. Uh, and the exact same thing was true in the recent lockdowns in Sydney and Melbourne. Um, the emergency supports were structured around the number of hours that you used to work uh, and that also excluded a lot of women. So even though women were more likely to lose jobs, they were less likely to be on those government supports.
0: Mm, and, that, and that probably second to my comment just before, the big thing that jumped out at me was that, so many females are out of work, but males uh, are re- receiving the majority of, of JobKeeper. Um, so, those, you know, the wage subsidies there are completely out of whack and then you've got homeschooling. And now oh, I'm lucky. Well, we didn't have to do that. Our, our, our son's six months old. Oh, I cannot imagine how hard that must have been except for my colleagues telling me how hard it is uh, on the multiple Zoom and Teams meetings that I've been involved in probably much like yourself over the last 18 months. The economic effects of time out of the workforce, as a report mentioned, are magnified for women, especially mothers, uh, many of whom are already in stop-start careers. Six months out of work, and again, this is from the report, add another $100,000 to the $2 million uh, average lifetime earnings gap. Now, when you consider super and those other types of things, those numbers are crazy.
1: Yeah, it's big. It's really big. Um, so the $2 million earnings gap, um, some people – um, don't appreciate this, that, that's if we took a 25-year-old man and woman today um, and we projected forward their lifetime earnings, assuming that kind of current patterns stay the same. So, you know, women are more likely to take that time off when a child's born, more likely to go back part-time. Um, so if all of that stays as it is, yeah, that woman, if she goes on to have a ch- child, will earn $2 million less on average than the man if he has a child. So it, it is big. Um, and so when you've already got that kind of stop-start career, you've already got that time out, having more time out during a pandemic, um, not by choice in this case, but kind of um, forced upon, um, we know that kind of sizable chunks out affect um, earnings trajectory and career progression and you've just layered on what was already a stop-start career. Um, So, you know, I think it's it's a a real concern that when you see groups who are already more financially vulnerable being disproportionately impacted, um, I think policymakers should stand up and take notice.
0: Absolutely. Just hold that thought for one second, Danielle. We're just going to quickly throw to the sponsors, and we'll be back in a second. After a couple of episodes, I finally got the call from the finance department, and they said, "Geez, you do a lot of talking, but are you in any any danger of maybe promoting our services?" And I thought, you know what? They've actually got a really good point. Uh, so today, I'm joined by Lachlan Ferguson. He heads up Mapian's HR Legend product. Thanks for joining me today, Lockie. Thanks for having me, Troy. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Now, you're a bit of a legend in your own right, but we are talking about a different legend today, and that is, of course, HR Legend. What is it, and how does it sit amongst MapIn's service offering?
2: Well, Troy, look, HR Legend um, is ultimately was ultimately created as we saw a gap in the market for small to medium-sized businesses so the gap being that SMEs, so small to medium-sized businesses, only have one or two HR functions. For example, outsource HR advice, which is often half-baked and say, a payroll solution. So What HR Legend does is it combines three essential HR functions, being a user-friendly application that has paperless onboarding, centralised documents, as well as performance review and other essential HR modules. This is paired with on-demand advice, which includes a HR document library and integrates with a comprehensive payroll solution. And And then we integrate those three components to, to remove the HR admin, the people and compliance issues that our clients often experience, which ultimately saves them time and money so they can focus on their attention on what really matters, which is, of course,
0: their business. Beautiful and minimizing paperwork, which is exactly what I like to hear. But who does this service sit best with, mate? Is it my big ASX listed clients or small to medium businesses? I take it that the service itself has a bit of a sweet spot in terms of client size. How does it sit in the market with its competitors as well? Yeah,
2: definitely. So as I touched on earlier, it does have a definite sweet spot. So it is that small to medium-sized market, ranging anywhere from roughly 15 up to about 100 employees. And um, our point of difference uh, is that we are trusted leaders in the HR field. 40 years experience in in the game and our breadth of advice, including culture, leadership, conflict resolution, strategic HR, to name a few, look, it is unmatched in the market. And we always aim to provide our clients with a full range of options with our advice, uh, with a complete risk assessment as well. So your business can be confident in making the right decision. And we pair this with a HR tech application we've developed. Look, our offering is a rare one. and admittedly. Our competitors, they do have effective sales strategies, but they don't always provide the best quality or most sound advice. As long as, as well as long-term lock-in contracts, which does expose your business to potential risk and unseen costs.
0: Nice. Now, if there's two things I like, it's a rare offering and HR Tech. Uh, HR Tech seems to be growing fast. Why? Why is HR Tech important to businesses at this size?
2: Well, it is a simple one, Troy. Uh, Honestly, it brings your business into the 21st century. So it automates those manual processes, the ability to have those essential HR functions and big data all in one location. It undoubtedly leverages your business in taking the next step in that growth journey. And it's growing so fast because people recognize that need to collaborate their people with HR tech or risk being left in the dust, which is sometimes the case. And ultimately, it is the future of business, Big and small.
0: Beautiful. I love it. How can people find out more, Lachlan?
2: So, my name is obviously Lachlan Ferguson. I am the lead consultant for Hater Legend. You can contact me by email. That's L Ferguson, L F E R G U S O N at Or feel free to give me a buzz on 04024 90967 any time of the day.
0: I'll see you on the other side
2: of lockdown. See you on the other side, of Droid. Cheers for having me. Thanks, Lachlan. Cheers.
0: Okay, and now we're back with Danielle Wood from the Grattan Institute. A lot of the issues that the report highlighted and even the things that you just mentioned then, it is a bit of a case of out of sight, out of mind. But then when you actually sit down and consider the data and the reasons you know, that sit behind the, the data as well, it sort of makes a bit of sense, particularly when you know we're, we have our own individual situations. I've got mine, you've got yours, working mum's, um, full-time mums, working from home. Dads, I've seen some of the work that you guys have done. It's the type of work that, that you guys do that, that sort of bring this stuff to the surface. How do you actually come up with the ideas around the reports that, that the Grattan Institute do, um, Danielle? Yeah,
1: so, I mean, I guess you do kind of bring some personal experience to the table and, you know, I personally knew a lot of women that that lost their... The jobs and I, I saw friends, um, you know, struggling with this big big rise in unpaid care work. But um, when we look across Grattan's reports, um, you know, we, we look for things that are big, you know, things that really matter. We don't want to focus. We've only got limited resources. We want to yeah. pick up things that are, that are important. Um, and then we go for things as well that um, the Grattan approach will add value. So, you know, we're really data-driven. We want to look at numbers and evidence. Um, so we don't go for things that are super um values driven we want to go to things where we can actually say something useful and you know there's not enough you know there's not so many people in the public debate that there's just no point us going in
0: sure and with any good report always comes recommendations you in terms of those recommendations and how you make those recommendations to government for example Do you reach out to them straight away? Here's the report. These are the recommendations we're making or is it simply a a report that goes out to the public with the recommendations in it and it's sort of up to public to sort of have conversations like this?
1: Um, So uh, both is the normal answer. So we we obviously think about how we're going to have the most policy influence. So ultimately what we're about is we actually want to shift policy. Um, So for a normal report, one like this, I would be talking to politicians, talking to advisors, you know, actually getting in front of the people that make these decisions and and showing them the evidence and trying to be compelling about uh, why they should um, shift the dial. Uh, We also talk a lot in the media and do these sort of things. um, And the idea there is really... um, convincing the public is a really good way to convince politicians. <laughs> so, okay. you know, if you shift public hearts and minds, um, politicians will tend to follow. Um, so that's so it's normally that kind of two-pronged uh, approach to, to influence. Sure.
0: And what are some of the recommendations that um, that you've provided?
1: Um, so, look, we, we're kind of um, differentiated between the short-term and, and the longer-term. So the short-term is kind of just about the immediate pandemic response. And, and what I found... Um, in the early stages was um, that, that we just went back to the old playbook from those past recessions. So as I said, you know, we used to have these um, recessions that were all about construction and manufacturing. This time it looked super different. What did we do? We just pumped a whole lot of money into construction and manufacturing, which did not make sense when it was the tourism industry and the arts sector uh, and um, hospitality that was really bleeding. So we said, um, let's think about stimulus differently here. Um, why don't we design supports? that are good for hospitality and and tourism, things like voucher systems, which we did see some state governments do. Um, How do we create um, other types of services, jobs within government? So something that Grattan recommended, which did get picked up um, by both the Victorian and New South Wales government, was the idea of a tutoring program. Um, to help disadvantaged students catch up on lost learning. So we know that um, learning from home is not as good as learning in the classroom, particularly for, for disadvantaged kids. Um, so the idea is, you know, tutor comes in, small groups, intensive tutoring, really trying to close that learning gap. Uh, that's great, it's creating jobs, uh, not construction jobs, a really different type of jobs and it's great for the kids. So like, let's look for these win-win opportunities. Um, then the other set of recommendations really came to that build back better argument. You know, how do we make sure that we actually do things that will benefit women that are being disproportionately hurt on the other side of this. Um, So looking at childcare, I've done a lot of work on childcare in the past. Um, We don't provide much financial support for childcare in this country compared to most other nations. Uh, It's really expensive. You're going to find this out, Troy. Um, You know, you'll be spending tens of thousands of dollars every year uh, and it means big workforce disincentives for women. And what our work shows is particularly um, in You know, two-parent two, two parent, um, families where one parent's working full-time, if the other one's working part-time, normally the mother in that case, you know, if she goes beyond three days a week, you know, right across the income distribution, she could be losing 80, 90, even 100% of her take-home pay from those additional days of work if she wanted to go to four or five days a week. So, what you know, why would you <laughs> in that, you know, there's just literally no payoff. This is so this is, a, this is the, the actual numbers that families sit down and run and they decide what's the point. And then lo and behold, we have really high rates of women working part-time by international standards. And people say, isn't that just choice? But it's, these choices are not made in a vacuum. People are responding to these incentives. Um, so doing better childcare subsidies um, we think would really make a difference to, to women's choices um, and their long-term economic prospects Um, It's not in the report, but something else we've written about since, as you pointed to, is parental leave um, and the the opportunity for more generous parental leave and and, um, more parental leave allocated on a use-it-or-lose-it basis for dads and partners. Um, So, you can tell your partner there's really um, fantastic international evidence about the benefits of this. So, a lot of countries now have these kind of use-it-or-lose-it schemes. Um, Most places, dads take them up. It just makes it easier for for dads to do that, to ask for leave. It becomes normalised. When dads take leave in, you know, the first year or two of the child's life, they're more likely to be involved in caring when the child is five, when the child is ten, the whole way through. Um, That frees up women to participate more in the workforce. Uh, And then the other thing we found which was really nice was there's benefits for families, there's benefits for health and wellbeing and there's benefits for the kids' development of having another second parent, like having a parent Second parent really kind of engaging is it's like good for brain development and emotional development for the child. So it kind of feels like a, a win win. Um, so those were a couple of the things we said. The other thing on the Build Back Better front is what do we do about um, female dominated caring professions that tend to be really low paid and precarious jobs? Um, so we, we've got, you know, majority women in childcare, aged care, disability care. Um, you know, at the moment, a, a childcare worker with a diploma earns less than someone working at McDonald's. You know, this is insane. <laughs> and guess what? We've got a big shortage looming for these sorts of workers. Um, so, we need to work out um, how we fix and conditions in these sectors. Um, so, we have enough people to do the caring work um, that is there and that, that we really start to kind of recognise and reward, you know, how important these jobs are in our community.
0: Mm. And, I, and, I, and I think you'd agree that um that Corporate Australia and the companies that we all work for have got a pretty big part to play in this as well um, as as far as, um, we'll say, fixing this. Um, Obviously, there's pressure on the government. We know that um, the numbers talk, the statistics are there, the report exposes that. um, From a business point of view, there's just so many opportunities now, particularly in a in a, in a war for talent, um, you know, finding really good talent is very, very hard at the moment. I can appreciate that. There's probably a few people listening to this,
2: nodding their heads.
0: Um, and those types of policies around parental leave, more time for um, for the partner, um, stay at home dads. So I'm I'm going to do one day a week. Um, my wife's going to go back to work. That was something that I negotiated before I started. My boss knows that. Our directors probably don't. So, thanks, guys. <laughs> You're outed. <added. laughs> But these are the types of things that that you know get get employers good employees, uh, and they're small things, and they go a long way to helping everything that we're discussing today, albeit maybe a small portion. Um, particularly from an employee value proposition perspective, I think everyone's got their part to play.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I think we're seeing actually in the vacuum the fact that we do have this really. A very ungenerous um, parental leave scheme again by international standards if we compare across the OECD we are like right at the bottom end. Uh, the US is worse they have none but we're really down there but we've seen corporates kind of increasingly stepping into that void. Um, so as you say war for talent, you know professional services firms are moving big time in this space um, and not just you know they're, they're making sure that um, you know they're often gender equal schemes so dads and partners can can access. Um, you know, a decent amount of leave as well. Um, And what they're saying, you know, the preliminary data certainly suggests that it's really good for employee retention. Um, I saw a really interesting um, set of numbers put out there by Spotify that has introduced, um, you know, incredibly good parental leave scheme. Um, They also found that it increased applications Um, So, you know, not just keeping the people you've already got but actually being attractive to new people as well. People are looking at these things and, you know, that's the other thing that really came out in our research. You know, this generation of dads, they want to have that time. Um, They, you know, they recognise the value of this and the importance of work-life balance. Um, So, you know, these are the kind of things that employees are going to be looking to. So ultimately we say, you know, you need a good government scheme, it sets the floor, Um, that's the minimum standard. You know, a lot of people work in small business and things that they're probably not going to get generous schemes, Um, so we need the government to step in. But I really think that the employer piece is important too and especially those employers that really depend on people for their business are going to find that this is going to be an important way to attract and retain talent.
0: Agree. And I think controversially, there is a lot of businesses that are in in those industries that were hit very, very hard. And a lot of them don't actually have parental leave policies that pay above the minimum standard. But what I will say is the workplace has changed. The workforce will have to change to adapt to that workplace. And that's more people working from home. So does that mean more children at home or daycare I'm all about daycare I'm not sure how I'm able to work in a house with kids running around but you know this is the sort of things that managers will even start to ask in terms of productivity and things so there's a lot of work to do and the report certainly shines the light on some issues that we uh, need to repair
1: indeed and look and just on that issue on kind of working from home you know there's a real opportunity there as well so um, you know it's been a massive experiment essentially you know workplaces that were in you know expected their staff to be in five days a week have all of a sudden found that they can actually operate from home um, so if this is done well on the other side like i'm still a firm believer of the benefits of face-to-face work um, but you know do we need those benefits five days a week maybe not um, and so the, i think there is a sweet spot with hybrid work between you know in the office sometimes at home sometimes and that flexibility um, if we're able you know for businesses that can do it um, to transition to that, that actually may well help with some of these issues. So, you know, if, you know, you're in the office one day, I'm going to stay at home and pick the kid up from school or whatever it is, introduces a flexibility and a better sharing uh, across relationships. I think this could be a real um, positive, um, both for productivity and and for family life and flexibility. The risk is Uh, If it's not done well, it kind of becomes like flexible work and it just becomes this woman's thing. Um, So, you know, the woman's going to stay home and take the hybrid work and the guy's going to go in five days a week. Um, Who's going to get the promotions and, you know, who's going to be more visible to the boss? Um, So I think actually managers have to be really careful about this. Um, There's lots of benefits, there's lots of upside, but if we do it badly, it actually ends up exacerbating
0: um, the the existing disadvantage that, that women with children face. I agree. I must admit, I am pretty keen to get back into the office. Me too. At the same time, wearing a business shirt and tracksuit pants has become a bit of a norm at my place at the moment. Derek, our producer, is wearing some pretty funky shirts at the moment, which we can't see, but I mean, if that's the sort of thing that that'll be acceptable out in public these days, then I'm all for it. <laughs> <laughs> I do,
1: I do reckon dress standards may well be slightly lower on the other side of this as well.
0: <laughs> I've just bought these new suits that I don't think I'll ever wear. To be honest, <laughs> uh, the office environment will will become a lot more flexible in terms of work attire. That's for sure. Awesome, Danielle. I really appreciate your time. Like I said, we were on a tight time frame. Uh, getting together was a bit of a mission, but we got there, and I'm. Yeah, ecstatic that you joined me. Thanks very much for joining me.
1: Thanks for having me, Troy.
0: Cheers.